right, welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Perry, Eric Scopel is with me as always, and a little late on this Friday show, but uh, still nonetheless, lots to get to, lots to cover on this one, and if you aren't a member of DuckTerritory.com, why not? And secondly, uh, we can solve that. You can get your first month for one dollar. Your v- your first month of VIP membership goes for one buck, and then after that, it goes to a nine dollars and ninety five cents charge. Or you could pay up front for an annual fee, uh, seventy five dollars and eighteen cents. That's all it costs for for an annual membership, six dollars twenty six cents per month. Inside scoop, expert analysis. You can read all the content across the twenty four seven sports network. And then on top of that, once your promo price of one dollar uh, for your first month goes away, or if you subscribe annually, you can get this right away. You get CBS All Access, uh, and that comes for free with your membership. Over 10,000 live shows, movies, sports, all commercial free, and that comes, that's a service that comes free with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. So one dollar, get you in the door, jump on it now. All right. Now, Eric, um, Fridays, kind of morphing into another basketball podcast. Both the men and the women played on Thursday. And it seems like this has become the norm the last couple of weeks where Duck fan and has been basically torn. Like, you either got to go split screen, two TVs. Uh, you got to do a TV and a laptop, a TV and a phone, TV and a tablet. Uh, two screens essentially to watch the men and the women play because they're playing on the same time, the same day, and frequently now the, the, playing at the exact same time. I, I was one of those people with with the I had the laptop with the women's game on and the TV had the men's game playing last night for me. And uh, a, it, it, I guess it's kind of fun to go back and forth, but b, it's like it's frustrating that you can't devote your entire attention to watching one of the two teams and. Given how good both these programs are right now, uh, both winning last night, we'll talk more about that throughout the show, it, it is frustrating that they're not spread out. Um, it, there won't be, looking at least at the schedule going forward on the women's side, there shouldn't be at too many uh, times where they overlap. The women are kind of moving back to a Friday-Sunday, actually quite a few Friday-Monday uh, schedules coming up in the in the next couple weeks and months. But you're right, last night was kind of weird because the men played at 6, the women played at 7. Um both games were going on simultaneously for like an hour, and it kind of made it a little bit harder to, to follow both games. Like you kind of had to pick or choose which one you wanted to watch. And I'm not sure where everybody else settled, but given the fact that California and Oregon was a pretty competitive game down to the wire and Oregon-Utah was basically over by the end of the first quarter, I, I'm guessing a lot of people sided um, with watching Peyton Pritchard complete that comeback um, against the Golden Bears last night in Berkeley. Yeah, let's Real quick, let's dive into the women's side first. Um, Oregon went to the Mountain Schools. They started with a game at Utah, like you said, in Salt Lake City. Uh, they walk away with a pretty impressive 90-63 to victory. Uh, Sabrina, you, you put something out on Twitter where she had relatively a quiet game for her, and yet nonetheless she still found herself on triple-double watch going into the fourth, and it was ultimately just how much were they going to play her in that final period. She finishes with 10 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. She also had 3 steals. Uh, she had 4 turnovers. She just she shot 3 of 7 from the field. Um, she had uh, 1 offensive rebound. She played 31 minutes. I think that's probably the biggest stat is that she didn't have to play a ton of minutes in that game. But other Ducks seem to have big games from, from my vantage point. 
Uh, and, and that's probably what you want to see in, in this type of a game is getting other, some of these other players going. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Oregon has had to play Sabrina and Satu Sabali in particular basically the entire game the last couple of weeks. You know, you take out that California game, which was another lopsided win at home, but that Stanford game, both Oregon State games, basically Sabrina and Satu didn't come off the court. I think Satu played 79 out of 80 minutes against Oregon State, and Sabrina played 80 out of 80. And I think Sabrina played 38 minutes against Stanford, and Satu played something similar um, a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, these, these players are – we talked about it on our show earlier this week, um, our mailbag show, just about what our concerns about this team were. And it was, let's see if they can get players, you know, uh, to, to, to rest during fourth quarters. And we saw a little bit of that. Satsu played 28 minutes, Ruthie played 31, and Sabrina played 31. And I think one thing that's somewhat notable is that we talked about this bench shortening, and yet we saw three players play, especially in that fourth quarter, who we weren't sure about their availability. Uh, Holly Winterburn played 15 minutes, which was nice to see her be a little bit more involved. But Lydia Guillaume, uh, Morgan Yeager, and Lucy Cochran, three players who hadn't really been in, in the rotation or even available to play for at least a couple weeks, all got in the game. It was good to see uh, Guillaume in particular. She played nine minutes, scored a basket. She, I think, will be crucial in terms of giving Ruthie Hebert a rest. She's at least capable of, of scoring and catching the ball around the basket and finishing. So uh, that was nice to see. But and we talked about this just before we started. I think the thing that I take away from this is that this was just kind of a, a, a pretty forgettable game. I mean, Oregon gets up by 16 points in the first quarter, and, the, and that's pretty much all she wrote. Um, and then they add to the lead, and they're up 26 at half. And frankly, not, not telling you to turn off the game, but you were pretty safe if you wanted to go find something else to do with the rest of your evening just because Oregon was so much, so, so clearly the class of that game. You know, Oregon was so much better than Utah. And I think something that stands out now is, is we've talked about how this conference is pretty competitive, but it is a top-heavy, top-half kind of league because once you get past the Stanford, Oregon State, Arizona, Arizona State, UCLA's of this league, there are some teams that are very, very average, or at least Oregon is so much better than, and this was one of those games where by halftime, Oregon was clearly going to win, and I think we kind of knew that was a possibility coming in. Oregon won by about 40 points in Eugene uh, earlier this month, but to see them go out and do it was great to see. To see them score at such a high clip, they scored 31 points in that first quarter, 12 of 15 from the field, 5 of 6 from 3. Sabali, who'd been struggling from 3, uh, hit her first 3, I think, 2 in the first quarter, 1 in the second, um, to really get Oregon going offensively. Um, not a lot of negatives you can point to in this one. Uh, Utah did kind of get it going from, from behind the arc. Uh, they hit 9 threes in this game. They took 35, though, so it took them a lot of shots to get there. But uh, you just look at this game, and I think you go, hey, Oregon did what they needed to do. They're now 8-1 and one in Pac-12 play at, at the midway point, 18-2 and two overall. Um, they've got two more games in the next couple of days here against Colorado and then at UConn on the road. Um, but you feel pretty good just about how they, they started this road trip. It's, it's never easy to go out on the road, but Oregon took care of business, and they did so basically from the start with that big first quarter. Yeah, this was Oregon's eighth time. Or I guess I should say seventh because we won't count Corbin because it was an exhibition game. But the seventh time this season that they've scored 90 or more points in a basketball game, uh, that's just, that's impressive. I don't care the level of competition. I don't care men or women. To do that in 40 minutes of basketball is darn right just amazing. And now they go into a Sunday game or a Saturday game. Uh, excuse me, where they're playing in Boulder against a Colorado program who's playing a little bit better, who's you know probably improved their standing in the conference, yet they're still significantly behind Oregon. Um, we won't 
talk touch much on that one. Oregon won the first meeting 104 to 46. Yeah. Tells you all you kind of need to know about that one. Yeah. Um, but they do have a game on Monday night, uh, I guess Monday afternoon Pacific time, a game in stores, Connecticut against the Yukon Huskies. Uh, game will be aired on ESPN two. It's Oregon's third game in what? Five days. Yep. And it's probably, t- correct me if I'm wrong here. It's probably the biggest game of the year, right? I think so. You know, I, I, and, and there have been some other big non-conference games this year. Um, UConn's lone loss came against Baylor, and Baylor is, I think, second nationally. UConn is fourth. Um, so that probably, you know, is at least deserving to be considered, considering Baylor won the title last year. UConn is obviously UConn. Everybody knows what they represent. But, yeah, this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, regular season games of the year. And for Oregon in particular – this is the this is undoubtedly the the biggest game of the year. I don't know. You can talk about the Civil War. You can talk about the Stanford game. But what Connecticut represents for women's basketball is what Alabama represents for college football, or what Duke represents in men's basketball. They are the preeminent program. And going and playing a game against UConn, where I'm not sure if there's going to be a gambling line, but it, it's probably going to be either UConn by a couple points or Oregon by a couple points. Like Oregon is definitely capable of going into stores and winning this game and that's going to be a game where I think you're going to see basketball fans that maybe don't typically watch women's basketball flip on that game it's going to be on ESPN2 um, highly encourage anyone who has uh, I guess an early afternoon Friday available to go check that out just to, if you're not even if you're not a big women's basketball fan it's going to be a great exhibition of two of the program you know the best programs in the country and possibly maybe a final four or national championship game preview I mean that's how good these programs are you look at the rankings three and four nationally. Those are the type of teams that are going to be playing in those kind of rounds. So uh, really exciting. Like I said, UConn's 19-1 and one this year. Oregon's 18-2. and two. They're kind of each other's equal. UConn does not have a player like Sabrina Ionescu. And, you know, again, we talked about how quiet she was in this game against Utah. I think she's kind of just conserving energy this weekend. She took seven shots the entire game. She took three in the first half. But it didn't really matter because Oregon was just rolling and rolling and rolling. I think the best case here is the Colorado game plays out similar. It's a game where Oregon can kind of rest players, not have to exert too much energy. And then on Monday, you just kind of give it everything you've got because that's going to be one that win or lose, it's going to have big repercussions nationally in terms of the perception of of both UConn and Oregon. And if Oregon can go out there and win that game, I know they're already considered among the best teams in the country. That's going to, that would be a win you could point to and say like, there's the proof you needed in terms of who the best is because Beating UConn on their home court simply doesn't happen very often. The Ducks are gonna have a chance to change that on Monday. Yeah, I was gonna say I I think this game sets up a, a you know the landscape of women's basketball better than I do, but from an outside perspective, and I've paid more attention as the season's gone on, that if Oregon goes into Stores, Connecticut, and beats the UConn women, um, that they don't even have to do it in like an impressive blowout fashion. Just no. get a win. By one, if that's all it takes. But just simply getting a win could cement Oregon, barring some kind of epic collapse, where they're the number one overall seed going into uh, the NCAA tournament because they will have got two wins uh, over Oregon State. They will have a win over Stanford. They will have a win over the Yukon Huskies. Uh, they have a win over Arizona. And they've got a solid win over Syracuse. 
Uh, yes, they lost to Louisville. Yes, they lost to Arizona State. Uh, but neither of those losses are going to be deemed bad. And Oregon still has games on the docket at home against both Arizona, Arizona State. They also have to play UCLA uh, one time on the schedule. And then they get Stanford on the road. And if you emerge out of that stretch of games with, what, three or four more wins? I, I don't see how this team could not be the number one overall seed, thus securing themselves the Portland Regional to have a chance basically to play in the state of Oregon all the way until the Final Four. Oregon has 10 guaranteed games, I should say, I guess, 11 guaranteed games from Saturday's game with Colorado through the end of the regular season, and then upwards of three games in the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. They're pretty guaranteed to be a buy there and and just start playing in the quarterfinals. But 13 games, if they are at that point 31-2, and if they just run through this, they are undoubtedly the one seed because you're looking at a collection of games, and we've talked about this for a while, where they're probably playing upwards of six, maybe seven top ten games in that stretch. And then you throw in, like we said, Arizona, Arizona State for two, maybe three more. Maybe they meet one of those schools in the quarterfinals. That's not impossible. Um, then you pull it up and you go like, geez, Louise, Oregon could have like eight more wins over top 25. Quad one is, the, I guess, the terminology you see with the net rankings, um, you know, still available to them. So, yeah, absolutely. If Oregon gets hot here and they, they beat UConn and they just go on a tear, they're the number one overall seed. They become the favorites. They become a team, like you said, that, that also then has their first four tournament games in the state of Oregon, and that becomes a huge edge. And then uh, it becomes a scenario where, where Oregon, I think we have all talked about this all year, where it becomes very, very likely, and it still have to go out and take care of business, but that they could be the first school in program, or the first, first team in program history, I should say, uh, to win a national championship, which would be uh, absolutely monumental and just add on to what legacy Sabrina Inescu has already carved out for herself at Oregon. All right, let's take a quick break. And speaking of legacies, on the second half of this show, let's discuss uh, some accomplishments that both Sabrina Inescu and Peyton Pritchard are either approaching or have accomplished uh, in their four years at Oregon. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Freeman. Eric Scopel is with me. Uh, I teased it before the break. Um, you posted a story up on the site that with every assist, with every rebound, uh, that Sabrina Inescu is accumulating in her career at Oregon, she's getting closer and closer to setting up a pretty remarkable uh, career at Oregon and across the board in, in just all of college basketball, men or women. No player in men's or women's Division I NCAA basketball has ever finished their career with 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, or and 1,000 assists. Sabrina's going to do that, and it could be within the next 10 games. Uh, she she already has the points. She's got 2,331. She got to 2,000 in, I think, the second game of this season, and she's only 40 assists from 1,071 rebounds from 1,000. She's currently averaging about nine of each of those categories. So that could be five more games to get to the assist number and maybe eight or nine to get to the rebound number. And if you look up what the schedule looks like, she could be breaking the record potentially in that game against Stanford on February 24th, which, um, you know, if they go out and win that game and she gets that rebound 
record and sets that 2,000, 1,000, 1,000, and just kind of, I shouldn't even say sets that mark. She becomes the inventor of that club because it's a club that has no other members. Um, that would be pretty spectacular and kind of, I don't know, you think about <clears throat> the fact that she went out and became Oregon's all-time leading scorer in a dominating win over Stanford, set her own career best with 37 points in that game. If she were to go out and get the rebound record um, in California, close to her hometown, we should mention, um, against Stanford, that would be pretty significant and pretty memorable for her to go out and do that. But, yeah, you know, she's built such an incredible legacy now at Oregon, and she really has a chance to go down. And and she does get this record, but I shouldn't say if. When she does get this record, because she will, um, she's going to cement herself as one of the all-time greats in the sport. And if she can go out and win a national championship at the end of the year, I don't know what the conversation becomes in terms of where she ranks all-time, but she certainly wouldn't be far off anyone else's pace because she has accomplished so much during her time here at Oregon. All right, now on the men's side, the Oregon Ducks played a game against the California Golden Bears. Uh, it was a back-and-forth affair, no doubt. Uh, the game was tied at the half, 32-32. to 32. Oregon finds a way, uh, like they have done in basically every other game, to win this one late, 77-72, Peyton Pritchard accounts for, I believe, 20 of the team's final 24 points. He scores 13 points on his own and assisted on two layups plus a, a three-pointer. Uh, he finishes the game with 21 points, 19 coming in the second half, eight assists, one steal, four rebounds, played 34 minutes, shot just seven of 13 from the field and scored 21 points. That's really impressive when you can do that. Uh, and then you also get 19 points from Chris Duarte. His run the last 10, 15 games is really, really special. Will Richardson backs up his strong performance against UCLA on Sunday with another really good game of 15 points, four assists, three rebounds, two steals. He played 30 minutes in that one. And then something that goes really under the radar is Shakur Justin. He had nine points, seven rebounds. One assist, two blocks, two steals. He played 30 minutes for the Ducks. He shot four of six from the field. He hit a really big three-pointer, which was a trailing three, step in transition straight on. Really good performance from him. Anthony Mathis got going. He made two three-pointers. C.J. Walker made a three and had another basket. They scored five points there off the bench. Uh, overall, I felt like this was a really good win. And everyone's going to go, oh, well, Cal's not very good. Cal's... You know, they're, they're barely above 500 or they're under 500 now. They're, they're nine and 11 or three and four in Pac-12 play. But look, the Bears are playing better. They are significantly better than they were under Viking Jones last season. And they're doing it with lesser talent. And that's the impressive part there. And they play a style of basketball in which they want the game played in the fifties or low sixties at, at the most. And teams have struggled as of late, especially when they're playing at Cal, uh, to, to score and, and, and get the game and get the pace at a level and at a, at a way that they want. And for the most part, this game, Thursday night, that's how it was trending. It was 32-32 at the half. And teams, you know, both teams, they were playing well offensively, but just the slow pace that Cal played with really dictated things. I mean, just go back and and look at uh, some of these games at 
at Berkeley, you know, the last two or three weeks, uh, you know, 66 points for, for Washington State, 58 points for the Huskies, uh, you saw Wash, you saw UCLA score 50, you saw Stanford score 50, so the, the, the way that the, the Bears have been playing defensively, it's been pretty impressive, and Oregon found a way to, to push the numbers out and speed the tempo up, especially in the last 10 minutes of that game, and that was the difference. You know, Oregon rebounded the ball well, and, the, and they and they come down the stretch and they win another game, 77-72. And I just I put this on Twitter afterwards. I I think that was yet another game in which you can start engraving Peyton Pritchard's name on the Pac-12 Player of the Year award just because of the big plays he's made, you know, especially in late game situations, and how he continues to score, and yet how he continues to set everybody else up on the team to score. He's starting to kind of reach that Dylan Brooks level of, you know, the, if it's a close game in the final minute and you can just get the ball and, and have it, give him a chance to either win it or tie it, you feel really good because he's just been so money in those situations. And the game didn't really get to that point against Cal because Oregon, I think, led by like 12 points in the last 50 seconds or so. And then, it was funny. I, I got up to get my glass of water, and I talked to my fiance, and I came back, and suddenly it was a four-point game. So yeah, I, you're wait, I, what? How did this happen? What, what happened? Is this game suddenly going to be close at the end here? And it kind of was, but it also kind of wasn't. But uh, he, he played at, at such a high level down the stretcher. You ran through uh, his contributions, both scoring and setting up teammates uh, in the second half. Um, I, I thought this was just another example of this team showing its resiliency. Uh, this was a game where... You know, it started the second half. Oregon, I think, got up by either eight or ten points, and it felt like they were just going to open it up and, and run away from it. And then Cal goes on a big run, and they're actually ahead for most of the second half until the final what six or seven minutes, when uh, when Pritchard really gets going and they start forcing some turnovers, hitting some big shots. Um, it, it's just how they've been winning games this year. You know, you know, on the women's side, we talk about how dominant they are, how they're winning games by thirty points, fifty points. You look at the conference season so far for for Oregon's men. They're seven and two, but only one of those games they've won by more than nine points. Uh, I mean, they've been playing tight, tight basketball games. A lot of them going to overtime. This was another one that really came down, like we said, to the final six or seven minutes. Yeah, it, it's just kind of the way they've they've done business this year. You know, it's not that team that blows teams off the court very. It just hasn't happened much this year. You know, most of their wins, like I said, have been very, very close games, games that go to overtime, games that are decided late. Um, I think that's, again, a testament to kind of the, the resiliency of this ball club, but also having a player like Peyton Pritchard where in a late-game situation where it's close, he's just so accomplished in taking care of business, whether it be at home or on the road. And obviously they struggled earlier this season with two road losses to Colorado and Washington State, but they've now rebounded with a couple of big wins um, in road games, and I think you have to be excited about what they what could happen on Saturday against the Stanford team, which I think has now lost three straight. Yeah, I, I think you look at, yes, they are playing close games. Yes, this game, Oregon was favored by 11 against California, and they won by five. And, yes, they should have won this game by double digits if they didn't foul and, you know, Cal didn't make a couple crazy three-pointers and whatnot. But still, nonetheless, I think there is, I think there's something to be said that's a positive that, Yes, Oregon is in in games late against some air quotes inferior talent, and yet it seems like every single time they come out making the plays late in crunch yep. time 
to win the game. And often it's coming from Peyton Pritchard. I think that's a huge positive. You know, I wonder, Matt, we look at Pritchard and I think we've talked about where he ranks potentially from a career perspective. And I think maybe we'll talk about that more on this show, but just from a season, an individual season that you mentioned earlier, I think you're right. There's almost no way he isn't the Pac-12 player of the year. Uh, it would be absolutely shocking if that goes the other way. Maybe someone else turns it on the second half. Maybe he falls off. That would be the only way. But at the midway point, it feels really clear he's that guy. But just from your, your time covering this program, can you think of many individual seasons from an Oregon player that have been better, um, both in terms of the scoring, the stats, but also in terms of late game execution and just in, you know, in general, a team's success? Because to me, this feels like since, you know, I've covered the team and watched the team, this is up there. Um, from an Oregon men's basketball perspective, from an individual season. He's just been tremendous all year. Yeah, I have a hard time finding someone that at Oregon that has had a significantly better year statistically for the Ducks. I mean, go back to maybe the, the his freshman year, 2016-2017, and look at that team and what – Dylan Brooks did for Oregon. I mean, 16 points, 3.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists. He had a bunch of big shots late. But look, Pritchard's averaging way more assists. He's averaging more rebounds. Uh, I, I believe he's shooting even a better field goal percentage, a uh, significant field goal percentage yeah. than what Peyton, than what Dylan Brooks shot last as a junior for Oregon. So, uh, that would be one to look at. Another, in, in my eyes, would be Joe Young's senior year. And when he won Pac-12 player of the year, he certainly scored right around the same amount that Peyton did. You know, Joe was uh, averaging 20.7 points, 4.4 rebounds, 3.8 assists, and yet here we look at Pritchard's numbers, and he's better across the board in everything. You know, he's averaging more assists. He's averaging more rebounds. I think he's he, – Pritchard shoots 48.4% from the field, and Joe, Joe Young shot 44%. From the field, and you look at three-point percentage. Joe Young was making 35.7 percent of his three-pointers uh, his senior season. Peyton Pritchard is 40.7 percent, and I feel like Peyton Pritchard's range is much further than what Joe Young's range was when he was a senior. It's hard. It's hard right now to, to find a player from within the, the Oregon program who's had a better statistical season than what Peyton Pritchard is, is putting up right now. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to look at maybe what, uh, a, a guy like Bryce Taylor did, uh, as, as a junior for the Ducks. Yeah. When they went to the tournament or maybe Aaron uh, Brooks, Aaron Brooks or Malik Harrison. But I mean, even then, like Aaron Brooks averaged his senior season 17, four and four for the Ducks. That, that's, that's really, really good. Yet, Pritchard's numbers are better than that right now. Go back to, uh, what was it? Luke, Luke Jackson's senior year. He was an All-American, I believe. Yeah. yeah. That, that's probably the best year statistically. 21 points, seven rebounds, four and a half assists. And yet, Luke Jackson's team didn't make the NCAA tournament his senior year. His junior year, uh, was also the season in which Luke Ridnauer was there. He won Pac-12 Player of the Year that season. 19.7 points, 3.4 rebounds, 6.6 assists for Red. Jackson was just behind him at 16 points, 6.9 rebounds, 3.6 assists per game. So I, I think, unless we really want to go back to Terrell Brandon, I can't <laughs> find stats on Terrell Brandon, but 
that goes to, in my eyes, Luke Jackson, Luke Ridnow, or maybe Freddie Jones' senior year when Freddie averaged 18, 5, and 3. Uh, Pritchard's right up there. I think you could, you could easily argue a case for Pritchard being, you know, statistically better than any of those three guys. And that's, I mean, Pritchard is getting to the level, maybe this is a, a bigger topic, but when you, when you mentioned Freddie Jones, you mentioned Luke Ridnauer, and you mentioned Luke Jackson, from the modern era of Oregon basketball, and let's basically, let's basically say that's from 1980 till now, that's three of the four best players probably to ever play at Oregon. And I know Joe Young was there, Dylan Brooks was there, but those three guys, Freddie, Luke, and Luke, are like Mount Rushmore of Oregon men's basketball. And Pritchard's getting to that level where he's comparable, if not better, statistically than those guys. I think the thing that, looking at his numbers just a little close, more closely, um, he's shooting 48% from the field as a 6'2 guard with you know, almost half his attempts coming from three-point range. That's really, really impressive. Um, that's, you don't see that from guards very often. A lot of times you see guards shooting, especially ones that are averaging, um, over 10 shots a game, like Pritchard's been all season. Usually they're shooting in the, in the mid to low 40s. Um, almost 50% from the field is, is honestly pretty astounding. And, and you're right. I mean, I, I think if you were to construct a Mount Rushmore, um, and it's hard for me to do this because I wasn't around for the Kamikaze kids, you know, Ron Lee and Greg Ballard and those players, Stan Love's another player, I think. Um, you know, someone like my dad, when I talk about the greatest players of all time, he'll mention, sure. bring up Stan Love's name, but Peyton Pritchard is, is, is going to have a real, real argument to be on that Mount Rushmore, to be one of those guys up there because he has had a, an absolutely awesome senior season and there's a chance he wins national player of the year. He's, he's in that conversation. I've seen, I was this morning looking around the web for a couple of those prognostications and I don't think I've seen any that were you know more recent than about two weeks ago but every single one of them had Pritchard in the top two to three for that award I think he's going to be a consensus first team All-American and there's a chance that if he puts up these kind of numbers the rest of the way and, and continues to hit big shots at the end of games and, and Oregon keeps winning and he keeps scoring like he is and his stats stay where they're at that he does win that award and that will absolutely cement his legacy because he would become the first player in program history to become a national player of the year. There aren't that many players from Oregon who've even been in the discussion for it, much less won that award. And, and Pritchard, like we said, he is really making a, a, a run here. And it's going to be really fun to see how this season plays out because you can tell he's a man on a mission. And we should say, this is a year where on the men's side, and we talk about the women's side, Oregon's a legit national championship contender. I don't think this is Oregon's best team under Dan Altman, but the field is pretty wide open right now. There doesn't yeah. feel like there's a very clear top couple of teams. I know there's some teams with good win-loss records, but I don't know if those teams have been tested because you look at Gonzaga and San Diego State, they're playing in a little bit of lesser conferences. Pritchard becomes, it's been a career year for him, a historic year for him as a senior. Earlier this year, he became the school's all-time uh, leader for wins in a career. I think he now has 99 wins and or 95 wins, excuse me. And at after the Cal game, well, during the Cal game, he became the school's leader for career assists. He passed Kenya Wilkins, who had 614. Pritchard needed six to do that going into the game, finished with eight. Uh, he has 617 assists now. He's five assists off from cracking the Pac-12's 
top 10 all time number. He will not pass Gary Payton, but he's got a chance, a, a real chance to really cement himself into that five, six, seven range. Maybe even four if, if Oregon makes a couple runs in the Pac-12 and then the NCAA tournament. Yeah, like you said, they you know they're one of the better teams in the country. He could really go down as truly one of not only just Oregon's but the the best, one of the best in the Pac-12's history. And I, I thought it was pretty cool after the game was over Thursday night. Luke Jackson sent out a tweet as an alum of Oregon. I just love watching Peyton Bridger, great guy, having an amazing amazing year. Definitely can have major impact in the NBA. And that, that's why Pritchard came back this season to, A, continue to win, continue to stack uh, victories up and, and compete with this team, and at the same time show that he can be a guy that plays in the NBA. And he's I think he's done that ten times over this season. He set himself up where he may get picked in the, in the second round, but I think he's going to be a guy that sticks on an NBA roster. I'm not going to say he's going to start or be this superstar player, but I think he's going to he's going to stick in the NBA for for a couple seasons. I'm with you on that, and I don't know if I would have said that before the year. I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have said his maybe he'd be on a team for a year or two, and then you know on and off between the G League, and then he'd end up playing most of his professional career overseas. But uh, I, I agree with Luke Jackson's assessment. That's somebody who who would know, somebody who knows what it takes to play at that level. He obviously played in the NBA for, I don't know, four or five seasons himself. Um, he's got an idea for that. And I will be curious to see where he is drafted if he is drafted. I, I would think he should be taken somewhere in the second round. And, and, and maybe he plays himself into a late first-round pick. I think if you're a contender and you're just looking for taking a player that maybe can help you as a role player off the bench right away, like, He's a guy who can help you score, and if he's if he's if his role is is just as a kind of a microwave scorer or a second team kind of guy who leads your offense, he can do that. I don't think there's any question. I'm not saying I, like you. I'm not saying I expect him to come out and be Trey Young and he's averaging 30 a game or anything. I think that's crazy, but I I could see him being a six to ten point per game scorer in the NBA for for a little while, and 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 maybe he ends up sticking as a starter somewhere. Um, you just don't know. Point guards are really competitive position. There are a lot of really good ones, a lot of really good young point guards in the NBA. So asking him to be a starter might be a lot, but I, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see. He doesn't have the measurables. He's six foot two. I'm sure his wingspan isn't going to be, you know, he's not. I think that receiver for Arizona State has a. He was like six two. Brandon Ayuk, I think he's six two with a six eleven wingspan. That, that's not Peyton Pritchard, but Peyton Pritchard is going to be somebody who's got all of the accomplishments from a collegiate career and all of the intangibles, I think, in terms of what you want from a basketball player at this level, the ability to shoot, the ability to to lead a team, to distribute the basketball, to defend at a high level. I think he's an underrated defensive player, and we haven't really talked about that part of his game. I mean, he's he's going to be one of the best players in, in school history in terms of forcing turnovers from a steal uh, perspective as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the, the NBA upside is something that's going to be very interesting to follow because I think coming into the year, I, I didn't really pay that much attention. I just didn't think he would have much of a, an NBA future. But I think at this point you, you can't count him out. I mean, why can't why can't Peyton Pritchard be Jalen Brunson? Yeah. Jalen Brunson I, was a, an early second-round draft pick to the Dallas Mavericks. He's a guy that, that, that plays a good amount of minutes. I think he averages seven or eight points a game this season for the Mavs and and just look at Brunson's junior year he now Br- Brunson is the much more accomplished player from a winning standpoint I mean two-time NCAA champion he also won the wooden award he was an alternate team player consensus all-american Naismith winner 
Uh, he was Big East Player of the Year, two-time All Big East Player. And you know, Peyton Pritchard certainly will have his chance to win the, the Wooden Award, have his chance to be a consensus All-American, a Naismith Award winner. Uh, he will certainly, we believe, will be the Pac-12 Player of the Year. But Brunson, as a senior, played 40 minutes. I mean, played 40 games. He averaged 31 minutes a game. In in his senior year, he averaged 18.9 points per game. He shot 52% from the field, 40% on three-pointers. He averaged 3.1 rebounds, 4.6 assists, and just a tick under one steal per game. And you you just compare that to Pritchard. Yeah. And Pritchard's got better numbers in some of those areas. He doesn't shoot as much uh, as well as Brunson did. He shoots 48.4%, but he's a better three-point shooter, 40.7%. He averages more rebounds, 4.3. He averages more assists at 5.9. He averages more steals at 1.6. Uh, he does average a little bit more in turnovers. Personal fouls are the same, and Pritchard scores just as many points as Brunson did. Uh, actually, a, a point more than what Brunson did this, you know, as a, as a junior. So, yeah, I I certainly think you're right in that he's an underrated defender, and there should be a a, a good chance that Pritchard finds himself being picked in the early second round, mid-second round of, of the NBA draft and, you know, getting himself a, a real chance to play in the league. All right, that's going to do it for us on this Odds and Audibles podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed to DuckTerritory.com, jump in now. $1 for your first month. $1 is all it costs for a VIP annual, uh, membership to DuckTerritory.com. And after that, you pay $9.95. And with the price increase... You basically save money because you also then become eligible to, to activate your CBS All Access, which is over 10,000 live shows, movies, sports, all commercial free through the streaming app CBS All Access. That comes free with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. So you're essentially paying yourself for that membership to CBS All Access by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. It's a $99.99 value CBS All Access comes free with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Bream, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.